From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good afternoon, Derek. Good afternoon. Good to see you again. Thank you. Before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. On the last episode of Injury Insider, you started the first of a two-part series regarding social media, something all of us use every day. And if you're not, you're probably hiding under a rock, right? Uh, I, I mean, was going to say, everybody's addicted, I think, to yeah, social media these especially days. especially with our smartphones. You focused only on Facebook last week and shared a lot of tremendous tips that most of us would never consider. So it is very eye-opening to see how much someone's social media can affect their personal injury claim. Can you just recap the overall main concerns of the social media platforms and your personal injury claim? Sure, and, and I started with these very basic concepts in the last show, and I want to kind of reiterate those today. So things that everyone needs to know and understand about social media, absolutely nothing, and underline that word as many times as you need to, absolutely nothing you post online ever completely disappears from the internet. Things like posts, your likes, comments, pictures, anything. It all stays there for all to see at some point, either now or in the future if necessary. Nothing you post online is completely protected from others to see. Uh, even if you change your privacy settings to the most extreme levels, you do everything you can to keep it from being seen, there's absolutely nothing that completely protects what you put online at any point. And once something is on the internet, it is not just yours to know about anymore. Everybody else is going to be able to find out just about anything and everything they want to know from finding those prior social media posts or current posts uh, and going back through your social media platforms. Um, so as to why it's important, very simply, your social media can be admissible if you were to ever go into a personal injury trial uh, in front of the jury. Things that you post, things that have been there before, it can potentially be admissible. And ultimately, a jury can hold those things against you if they find it concerning, things that they are not happy with about you, either as a person or things that uh, call into question the severity and extent of an injury. Um, so you may consider a post to be very innocent at times, maybe innocuous, but a skilled defense attorney can and will portray your post in a way that can be considered negative and used against you by that jury of 12. Um, as far as social media is concerned, they're going to ask you about it, meaning the defense attorney. They'll ask you for the usernames and passwords. They'll review everything that's there. They'll take screenshots early and often. So not just initially when the claim starts, but through the course of your claim. They'll look for other posts that you make while you're actively treating or pursuing that claim or going through the litigation process. 
this is one that people don't really think about, and it was one I had a question about that came this week at the office. They can and will potentially send you a friend request, either someone directly connected to the insurance company or potentially somebody connected to the defendant. They'll send you a friend request. It may not be somebody you recognize. I don't know if it's uh, an ego thing, but people will sometimes accept friend requests from people they don't know. And it could very well be an investigator, someone trying to get access to your page that may other, otherwise be very private and only friends can see certain things. But now you've just given backdoor access to someone who is looking to utilize that against you later on. Um, they're constantly going to check it. I can't stress that enough. They're always going to be looking. Um, as I said earlier, they can request passwords and ultimately a judge can potentially order that in a motion if they feel there's something there that can be found that would be used against you. Um, and also, too, something that, again, people don't really think about are deleted posts. If you delete something and you think it's disappeared forever, well, ultimately, it can be accessed. It can be brought back. And it could be, trade, be portrayed as if you were trying to delete to hide some evidence, some negative, negative comment, negative picture, something that would potentially be used against you. So even if you delete it, the fact that you deleted it could be used against you. Uh, and Facebook Messenger conversations, be careful, be uh, apprehensive in discussing the severity of your injuries, your treatment, how a wreck occurred, those kind of things, because those messenger conversations are also likely going to be looked into to find out a lot more about what you're telling people. Wow, that it's very eye-opening. And things, you know, if you've never had a wreck, you post, you would never think about any of these things, but they are extremely relevant. I give and this lecture to my clients every time, and they all say, well, I didn't think about that. Or can they really do that? The answer is, yeah, they can. They can ask you for your username and password, There's potentially. Certain times with a motion, it's called motions in limine, motions prior to trial, or even during the discovery process itself, where they can look into social media and potentially file a motion for a judge to rule either in your favor and protect it or against you and require you to, to disclose that password. Wow. I know it's a little separate story, but I had lost all the information in my phone. It did a backup or, or something. And when I called Apple, they gave me a web, no, it wasn't a website or an app. They said, download your phone into this. And every single thing, every text, deleted picture, every website I had ever gone to, everything showed up. They pulled everything out of my phone. It was amazing. And I was grateful for it because it was truly just a lost data uh, conversation. But I see where, where if a defense attorney could get that app or any app like it and just download your phone and all your social media. Yeah, and I know this isn't a criminal show, but ultimately... You know, a lot of crimes are solved by cell phone pings. When your cell phone pings a tower in a certain area and you claim to be somewhere else as an alibi, and they can find that you were pinpointed in a spot where some crime took place. I mean, it, it, that's coming from watching those uh, crime shows on sure. TVs, uh, Dateline, Primetime, uh, 48 Hours, those kind of things. You learn all kinds of things, how uh, cell phone data, cell phone information can be used to eventually solve a crime, even. And now we have Alexa. Uh, Always right. listening. That's right. right. And Alexa does record conversations. <laughs> yes. Too. Again, people don't think about those things. Wow. So today you want to discuss some other social media platforms. Can you mention some of these platforms? Sure. Aside from Facebook, uh, some of the other ones that when you just do a very basic search on, on Google, Tumblr, WhatsApp, WeChat, QZone, Instagram, Pinterest, 
LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but just very simply, I did, did a quick search, and some of those I've never heard about. I don't know if you have or not, but Qzone, I have no clue what that is. No. Uh, WeChat, I don't. I may have heard that term before, but again, I have no idea what that is. Um, but they all have different ways of chatting, posting, liking, sharing, those typical things you do with social media. Um, any of them can be accessed by a defense attorney, like I said, if the judge finds that it's authenticated and actually is your uh, page. They, they can potentially... Uh, have that admissible. It's if it's relevant. If it's uh, you know something that is goes to the core of the matter of your case. If it's a car wreck, those kinds of conversations, discussions, posts, those kinds of things. So again, don't think that any of those platforms are secure because they're really not. They they aren't. I would guess that Instagram is the most popular of the ones that you just mentioned. Um, how can those posts be a negative? Yeah, Instagram probably is. Uh, if statistically the next uh, in line behind Facebook. Um, there are others that are very close, but I think Instagram's probably the second tier or second rated, I guess you could say, behind Facebook. Uh, but I want to group Instagram with Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest, Snapchat, and Fensta. Uh, and in fact, I learned Fensta from my kids. Fensta stands for fake Instagram, which I had no idea. So I think it's, a, it's an adolescent uh, millennial thing where they have their Instagram and they post things for all their family and friends to see, but their Fensta is a fake Instagram. Sometimes they have fake names where only their closest friends can see. Well, that's see where it. they think they're hiding things. Well, that's it. Yeah, they believe that those things are hidden. But yes, again, those kinds of things can be discoverable. And if it's uh, someone who does have a Finsta profile and, and page, those are things you have to disclose. It is part of the discovery process. You have to, to disclose that to a defense attorney. Um, but Instagram loves hashtags. And that's what I want to talk about for a second. So hashtags can allow a search to show up on anyone's page or anyone searches under certain hashtags can lead to your page, pictures, things of that nature. Um, they can be held against you. Some of the hashtags you may use uh, may, may decide to use. Again, I kind of just looked up information about this and I saw hashtag big check settlement, <laughs> hashtag pay my bills, hashtag personal injury jackpot, wow. hashtag my neck paycheck. So, you know, I don't know why someone would think that would be okay, but those are hashtags that are actually active and out there. And, and again, uh, it seems so basic, but yeah. ultimately when you read those kind of things, and if you were a juror sitting in a case and you heard about somebody that used the hashtag personal injury jackpot or my neck, my paycheck, again, you, you would, as a juror, I think you would question that. Um, videos and pictures on, on Instagram, uh, things, you know, their Instagram challenges that were a big deal. And I think they still are to some, um, again, the millennial population and, and some kids and even maybe some adults. There was an Instagram challenge where you tried to get to a certain speed in your vehicle and, and either video or take a picture of your speedometer at 100 miles per hour or 110 or whatever the number may be. Uh, so those posts, if you've posted a picture of yourself or video of yourself going 110 miles per hour, and you're involved in a wreck and the other person alleges that your speed contributed to the wreck, well, you kind of gave them some information they can now argue and potentially allow into evidence that is going to call into question whether or not you were speeding because you have a propensity now to speed based on your Snapchat videos. Um, you know, people do things like going on a boat, skiing. Um, if you're on a boat and nowadays we're in the summer, Lake Lanier is a very popular place here in Georgia and everybody has lakes around them and uh, areas where they like to get on boats, well, there's a lot of jarring back and forth on a boat, going over waves, going 
fast going through uh, slower areas and other people going fast by you. And those things can jar your neck, your back, other parts of your body and call into question the severity of your injury. If you're injured, how can you get out on a boat? How can you water ski? So you had mentioned about checking in, right? So even if you're going to go to the lake, um, what you're speaking about, you don't want to check in necessarily. Or if you do, just be cautious of it. It Right? Right, right. Elaborate on that a little bit. Checking in. It came into play last week with Facebook, but I know other platforms allow you to check in. So when you check in, let's say, for example, you check in at a bowling alley. A bunch of your friends are getting together, your family. You want to go and hang out with everybody. But because of the severity of your injuries, let's say you have a shoulder injury. You can't bowl. You're physically not able to bowl. But you check in at the bowling alley, and there's some pictures posted of you at the bowling alley. Well, a defense attorney is not going to argue that you were there just watching everybody else and enjoying the company of everybody else. They're going to argue you were actively bowling. You know, you claim that you had a shoulder injury. You're right-handed. It was your right shoulder. You bowl right-handed, but yet you you were at a bowling alley and you're trying to make this jury believe you were just simply there watching everybody. Uh, you know, a gym is another place that's always called into question. If you drop your husband, your wife, your kids, uh, or family member, friend off at the gym, and you check in at the gym because you're sitting in the parking lot reading a book because you can't work out or you're in their lobby area reading while somebody else is working out and you're checking in there, they're going to say, well, if you're injured, how the heck were you there working out? That doesn't make sense. Trampoline parks. You know, kids have birthdays. People like to go to the trampoline park nowadays for birthdays. I don't know the last time I've jumped on a trampoline, but it could be argued. You checked in at the trampoline park. Guess what? You were on a trampoline. And a jury could very well believe that. And think that if you denied that, no, I wasn't there, or I was there, but I wasn't jumping, that's kind of a self-serving comment. Of course you're going to say you weren't jumping, because you're going to claim your injuries kept you from doing it. You're not going to say, yeah, I was jumping, but you very well could have been. Um, So things like that, those check-ins can be used against you. Tags, if somebody tags you in a post, uh, be careful about that too. You may not even know about it, because now there are settings on your own Facebook page and some of the other platforms where you can prevent photos from appearing on your page unless you get a chance to approve it and it may be two or three days sometimes i don't look at my social media every day but sometimes i'll go a couple of days without looking and it'll show that there's some photos i've been tagged in and i have to go and approve them well that's approving them to appear on my page not approving them to appear on somebody else's page so that photo is already out there for others to see but it's not on my page yet so again you got to be careful when others tag you um you know snapchat pictures are fun they're goofy. They're the filters can make you look like uh, you're young, you're old, you're male, you're female, like a cat's on top of your head. Those are all fun, and we all enjoy that kind of stuff. But if you're laughing and having a good time, and you send those funny pictures to others, well, it can be argued that you really weren't hurt. If you're really that hurt, how the heck are you enjoying your 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 time? You're you're supposed to be miserable and in bed and not able to move around. So again, things as simple as that can be used against you later on down the road so you know how can they be taking all these pictures while laughing and smiling if their pain keeps them from doing or keeps them from working you know you're not able to work you're you're not able to to go into the office i see how they can argue it and again this never would have dawned on me i bet most people listening are hearing this thinking i never would have thought about this all these different things that can come into play and really affect your case. All right, what about Twitter? I know lots of people get in trouble with things that they post on Twitter, Twitter, but why is it not off limits in a personal injury claim? Well, Twitter admittedly is a little bit different from some of the other social media platforms in that it's mostly verbal. 
um, many people do post pictures and videos and they'll share picture, pictures and videos or retweet somebody else's tweet. Um, but the same cautions are in place, of course, when you're talking about pictures and videos. But really, Twitter can lead to negative verbal attacks on the other driver, for example. Um, the investigating officer, the hospital staff, if you don't think you were treated well when you were taken by ambulance from the scene of the wreck, oh, they just put me in a corner and they should have done x-rays, they should have done an MRI, they should have done all kinds of other things. Um, you start doing uh, negative Twitter comments about the doctor if you're not happy with your doctor or the insurance company, things where you attack verbally some of those people that are intricately involved in your claim. Again, that could portray you as mean-spirited and Jurors don't like mean-spirited people or unlikable people. They don't like to give money or award verdicts to someone, they, plain and simple. And again, Twitter can be very fun. It can be very innocent. It can be very useful. But just don't talk about your car wreck claim there, your injury claim. There's no reason for that. Let's leave it off the table. Sure, right? absolutely. Let's move on to YouTube. This is the story, the one that you teased at the end of last show. I understand a self-proclaimed YouTuber, I put that in quotes, right, decided right. to make a video about his experience after causing several wrecks. Tell us this story. Well, I learned that YouTuber is actually apparently a career now. Uh, people make money. Yes, off my 11-year-old just... would tell you that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so they have YouTube channels where all their videos are, are on one place. And so it's become quite common now. And then on a side note, before I go into the story, you know, I have a staff at my office and what we do many times is when there's a new claim that comes in the office, we'll do a little research. We'll look at Facebook, we'll look at Twitter, we'll look at Instagram, we'll look at all those social media platforms for defendants, and I use that as a plural, defendants and claims, because sometimes the owner of the vehicle may be different from the driver, it may be a company-owned vehicle, there are all kinds of reasons and, and people you can look into, but ultimately by looking into their social media, sometimes, just like things can be used against the plaintiff, you can find things that are good to use against the defendant. But I would think, too, going through that process, you want to see what the defense sees. Sure, absolutely. Right? I right, mean, you, right. you need to see that. That would, again, I, I understand that. You yeah. know, you're doing your research, but you also need to see what they're going to have. Right, right. And and that goes, like you're saying, for, for the plaintiffs as well. I'm, I'm looking to see if there's the need for that stern lecture to a client. And I've had many of those through the years about uh, what to post and, and more importantly what not to post and uh, things that are big concerns when you see them, when you find them. Um, you know, I'll say this real quick too, that, that when we look at the social media platforms and things of the defendants and we learn stuff, it, it's amazing how quickly though that stuff tends to disappear. So it's interesting too because I think defense attorneys are also giving the same advice to their clients um, but they don't realize that by deleting it, and if I've already done a screenshot of it, I can still ask them about it later because I was smart enough, if you want to call it that, to, to go and look before I even sent a notice of claim letter in. Nothing's ever deleted. No, 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 no. And it's all about the research. It's all about the investigation. It's amazing what you can learn very quickly about someone. I can tell you lots of things about a lot of, a lot of people I've never met just by simply looking at their social media. Uh, but going back to this YouTuber and this particular claim, um, it, it was really, a, a honestly, kind of a funny story how it all played out. But it was a busy afternoon in traffic, about 5 o'clock. It was just after work hours. And this guy was driving very aggressively behind my client and eventually wound up hitting her at an intersection. Uh, she was so concerned about him that she was watching him in a rearview mirror and as they went uh, to turn left at an intersection, he wound up hitting her. And the, the real concern was, though, that after the initial severe impact, he tried to clearly tried to turn his wheel of his vehicle and almost try to force her off the road. 
Um, so it was very aggressive, not only how he was driving, but even after the initial impact, this guy was still trying to, to get by her to the point of even forcing her off the road. Well, he wound up, after trying to flee her wreck, causing several other wrecks, and eventually his car stopped. He couldn't go any farther because he had done so much damage to it. Wow. Yeah, it, it's crazy. But he got caught, thankfully, and he was arrested there at the scene for several reasons, fleeing the scene, causing the, the wrecks, you know, failure to yield, all those kind of things that, that come with a car wreck. But he was also arrested for DUI. And that's interesting because it comes back into play later. We did the initial search of the guy when we got the claim, looked at social media platforms, looked at all the things you would consider, including YouTube, and there was really nothing there. But later on, after the wreck, he decided to become a YouTuber, or maybe he was, but uh, ultimately we found the YouTube channel. And interestingly enough, um, in his YouTube channel, it was there for all to see, including me. And he talked about the wreck. In fact, he talked for about 45 minutes about all of what he had suffered because of the wreck. He talked about his injuries. And this isn't, again, a 45-minute video. He talked about losing his job and not being able to work for a long time. He talked about uh, having to pay the fines and probation officer. He talked about spending time in jail. He talked about losing his driver's license. Uh, he talked about having to take random drug and alcohol tests. He talked about not even remembering getting behind the wheel that day or any of the wreck he, wrecks he had caused. No way. Yeah, he said, I don't he even didn't know. remember? No, and this is all in his video. I have no idea how I wound up behind the wheel that day. I don't remember. Oh, I have no God. recollection whatsoever. I was so drunk, verbatim, I was so drunk, I don't even remember getting behind the wheel. But here's the, the, the real interesting part to this and the part that, of course, caught my attention. At no point in that 45 minutes did you talk about regret for what he had done to others. Instead, he talked about the regret for getting caught. Unfortunately, I got caught. If you do this, don't get caught. I mean, there's multiple ways you could phrase that. And he did. It was all 45 minutes of the poor, pitiful me. Look what I've had to go through. Poor, pitiful me. Look what I'm having to pay for. I've lost my job. I've lost my relationship. I uh, I can't drive right now. I, I have to go to see my probation officer. I have to take random drug and alcohol tests. Oh, this is awful. Oh, so hang on just a second. So you started the story because you're representing the plaintiff. Correct. One of the people, one of the people that he hit, and there were multiple wrecks. Wow. Were there injuries? Yes. Was she yes. okay? Right, right. My, my client was, and I, I can't go into the details about the injuries for, for her, but ultimately okay. she was injured, and there was a claim, and the claim was resolved. Okay. Uh, but the point is, though, that, that in the research, these are the kinds of things that are beneficial to me in pursuing that case, because I can assure you there is absolutely no defense attorney out there that would want to go to trial and have this YouTube video played for the jury, which it could be, very simply, to show the mindset of this guy following the wreck. It was all about, again, poor, pitiful me. Look what I've had to deal with. So I guess if you look at the opposite side of that, he never talked about the other individuals, and there were multiple wrecks. He never talked about the other individuals that he had injured. He never talked about their medical bills. He never talked about their missing time from work or from their families while they recovered. You know, some could very well have been in the hospital. They could have had to uh, go through surgeries. I, I don't know the severity of the other people that were involved in the wreck, but I do know what my client had to deal with. Um, he never talked about how he could have killed someone. There was no regret about, oh, I could have killed someone. I should never have done this. He never talked about his, uh, the other people's cars being totaled or damaged or having to be replaced or repaired. 
He never talked about the poor decisions that he made that day other than the regret of getting caught, which, again, the way you phrase that, you know, if you're going to show true regret, it's not, oh, I regret that I got caught. It's I regret what I did to others. I made some awful decisions. I made some choices that were terrible. And look what I've done to others. Instead, it was poor, pitiful me. So he never even talked about educating others to not make the same mistakes. You know, I hope people learn from what happened to me. Not, I hope you learn and don't get caught, which is kind of the way it was phrased. It was more, I hope others, you know, he should have said, I hope others learn from what happened to me and, and ultimately don't make the same mistakes that I did. So how did you use that video to help your client? Well, as I said, I brought this to the attention of the adjuster and ultimately the case settled almost immediately because as I said, there's no defense attorney out there that would want to go to trial and have this guy on the witness stand in a video played for the jury to see and, and realizing that the remorse factor is just not there. You know, and, and on a side note, too, this is kind of an insurance issue. Uh, I'm not going to name the insurance company. I, I would, would like to, but I'm not. But because there were multiple wrecks, all of these were different wrecks. One wreck occurred. He fled. He caused another wreck. He fled. He caused another wreck. So they tried to group all of these wrecks together and say this was one act. So in a case where you have, say, policy limits of 25000 per person, 50000 per occurrence, if this is all grouped together as one simple wreck, as opposed to separate wrecks, then for the entire course of those multiple wrecks, it would have been a total of $50,000 maximum that they would have paid on this claim. With an attorney involved, thankfully, I was able to draw to their attention, no, 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 these are separate incidents. He caused the one he fled. Then he caused another, and he fled, and then another. So with that being said, as opposed to, again, as an example, 25000 per person, 50000 per occurrence, as opposed to spreading that amongst multiple people and multiple wrecks, that was only as to my client for that one individual wreck. And then they had limits to deal with in the other wreck. And then they had limits to deal with in the other wreck. So again, these are tactics and uh, in my opinion, bad things that insurance companies will do to try and avoid paying the true value of anyone's claim. Um, you know, if, if you talk about social media and how it can harm, I mean, this is a perfect example of how that harm can go and will go either way. Well, I bet his defense attorney wanted to wring his neck, right? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, the adjuster, everybody else yeah. that, that saw that video. And, and I even, in a, in a phone call to the adjuster, I said, well, I'll tell you what. Before we start talking about this claim and start the negotiation process, I want you to do something real quick. Go to YouTube and search this. And then once you've watched this video, give me a call back and we'll talk. And so it led to the case settlement. <laughs> sure. Well, I'd like to point out, I think the lesson here, you know, we have all of our listeners and we're all absorbing this. I know that I've gotten a tremendous education on what social media can do to help and to harm. But we have a lot of kids that are driving. I think our listeners have a lot of kids that are driving. You have teenagers. They're on social media in a whole different way than we are, and they're driving. So I just encourage everyone to take this information and pass it to your children, um, especially, you know, if they're driving at sure, that point, right? Sure. We're all using social media, even the little ones. But once they start driving, what to do and what not to do. It should be as much of an education as driving itself. Right, exactly. And I would say, too, go back to listen to the last podcast and this one, and and you'll hear all those tips regarding social media. And I, as you said, I have two kids that have been driving now for a while, and don't think for a second I haven't had this conversation with them about, you know, heaven forbid if you ever have a wreck of any sort, whether you're the victim or you're the cause, this is not something to be spread out on social media for anyone and everyone to read about. Absolutely. Well, I thank you for the education that you're giving all of us. I know it's... Absolutely wonderful. Very eye-opening. 
But we have another question from one of our listeners. This was submitted through your website. And at the end of the show, we'll tell everyone listening how they can submit their questions. This is from Gary from Decula. And Gary writes, um, hi, I hope this is not a dumb question. Gary, there are no dumb no, questions. There's not a dumb okay, question here, write yeah. in anything that you'd like to ask Derek, and I will read it to him. If I get injured in an accident that I may have caused by speeding or following too closely, for example, and I am injured, am I entitled to any kind of compensation? Well, you would think this is kind of an easy question to answer with a simple yes or no, but there isn't really an easy answer. It's kind of a yes and a no. And I'll kind of explain that as best I can. So if you're at fault, if you're 100% at fault, you caused the wreck, you're speeding, you ran a red light, whatever it may be, then the only claim you're typically going to have through your own car insurance coverage is a med pay claim. So med pay is kind of like health insurance you purchase on your vehicle. It's referred to as med pay, medical payment coverage, also sometimes MPC. So med pay, you have individual limits. It may be $500, $1,000, $5,000, $10,000. I've even seen as much as $100,000 in med pay. But the way med pay works, it's per person in the vehicle, inside the vehicle. So if you're driving the vehicle and you're at fault and you have uh, um, you know, caused a wreck and you've got $100,000 in, in med pay, well, then up to $100,000 of your medical bills will be paid through that med pay portion of your car insurance policy. And it can also work hand in hand with your health insurance. So really, that's the only claim you have against your insurance company to help with your medical expenses is through MedPay. Now, I said yes and no. So that's kind of the no side. Now, the yes side, let's, let's talk a little bit more in depth about the law. And that's really where it comes into play. So as an attorney, I have to look for other potential options that may be there that most people wouldn't think about if you were speeding or you feel like you ran a red light or something that, that may have caused the wreck. You could have been ticketed for the wreck. Um, but really, kind of keying on the words in your question, you said any kind of compensation. And, and I want to really talk about that. So in, in Georgia, there are things to consider that are a little bit different. If you're considered to be at fault, but your fault is less than 50%, in Georgia, we have what's known as modified comparative contributory negligence. Now, let me explain what that means. So a jury finds in favor of uh, you in a car wreck, for example. You're, you're hit by someone who ran a red light. Uh, and they argue that you turn right on a flashing yellow light. You should have yielded, something like that. Well, the jury can allege, or, or can, can find rather, that you may have been 20% at fault for the wreck and the other person was 80% at fault for the wreck. And if they award you $100,000, well, under the modified comparative contributory negligence theory here in Georgia, because your negligence is less than 50%, your recovery is reduced by your percentage of fault. So if it's, you're 20% at fault, and it's $100,000, then you're not going to get 100000 You're now going to get $80,000 because your recovery is reduced by your percentage of fault. So even if in Georgia you're found to be at fault, if you're less than 50% at fault, you can still get recovery in your claim. That's, again, what we call modified, modified comparative contributory negligence. Now, there's another approach to that in other states called pure contributory negligence. And this one is really harsh. So if you're only 1% at fault for your wreck, only 1%, the jury says, yeah, you were probably speeding, eh, but that wasn't really the biggest cause. The other person was 99% at fault for the wreck. Under pure contributory negligence, you get nothing, even if you were only at fault for 1% of your car wreck. So if someone slams into the back of you 
but maybe you stop too quick. I'm just coming up yeah, with an yeah, example. Exactly. That's a perfect right? example. Yeah, okay, right. so the the light is yellow and it goes to red and you hit your brakes, but the person behind you is not paying attention, so they slam right into the back of you. Yeah. So there there aren't many states that have pure contributory negligence. I think there may be only five or six, but yes, you're exactly right. If somebody, say for example, you have a tail light out and you admit in your trial, well, yeah, I had a tail light out and the jury thinks about it. Well, he had a tail light out. That probably wasn't that big of a deal, but yeah, that's probably about 5% fault for the wreck. Well, guess what? If they found you at least 1%, you get absolutely positively nothing, which is very harsh. So here in Georgia with a modified approach, as long as you're less than 50%, at least there's some recovery, but your recovery is reduced. However, with that pure um, approach, then unfortunately you get nothing, even if you were only 1% at fault. Now, there's a third approach to this. It's called pure comparative fault. In pure comparative fault states, um, your recovery is re reduced, but ultimately uh, it's by the uh, percentage that, that you were held to be at fault. Um, so, for example, um, let's say that you're found to be 99% at fault for the wreck. You still can get the 1% of damages. And so it's a completely different approach, the flip side, of the pure, pure contributory negligence. So in the pure contributory negligence state, you're not going to get anything. But in the comparative fault state, you're going to get 1% of your recovery. So if your case is worth $100, well, you'll get $1. This just goes to show why you need to call an attorney. Because sure. I wouldn't know. I, I might know that I didn't cause anything, but I wouldn't know in, in which category I was in and, and well, what I was entitled to. And, yeah, all of that. It depends on the state. And, and the reality is, too, about a third of the states have that pure comparative fault statute where you can get the recovery based on what percentage of fault the other person had. So if they're 90% at fault, well, you get 90% of your damages. If they're 20% at fault, you'll get 80%. Um, so again, it, it's just all, or, the, or you'll only get 20% rather of your recovery. So Georgia is probably the most friendly approach and the majority of states have that, the comparative uh, approach where it's modified and, and your recovery only comes if you're less than 50% and it's only reduced by your percentage of fault. But if I'm 1% at fault for a wreck and I have multiple broken bones and surgeries and I get no recovery because I'm only 1% at fault, that's awful. It's terrible. And we're here in Georgia. This is where we tape. This is where we live and work. This is where you practice law. But accidents happen in every state. We travel. There are people listening to this podcast from all over the world. So sure. would your advice be to Gary and to anyone listening, call your attorney and, and start that process? Right. And, and I will say this. I have the ability to handle claims in every state unless it goes into litigation. If I do wind up having to file suit and I'm not licensed in a particular state, we generally have to associate counsel, which means I have to have an attorney who is licensed in that particular state to file the lawsuit and handle the lawsuit with me. Uh, so you can only file in states where you're licensed to practice in those states. But you can handle claims, as I have through the years, in, in many states I've handled claims in California, Michigan, uh, I mean, all over the, the north in Florida and Alabama, Mississippi, neighboring states. So I've handled cases throughout the country. In fact, just yesterday, ironically enough, I had a call from Nevada. A lady from Las Vegas wow. called my office about a car wreck that occurred out there. Um, and great. she lives there, but she found me honestly through the, the podcast, which oh, was really wonderful. interesting. So I appreciate that. If you're listening, I appreciate you contacting my office. So the point is, though, that, that those are the kinds of things that attorneys need to be aware of and look into to know whether or not it's going to negatively affect the ability to recover on the claim. All right. 
we're getting ready to wrap up, but we've got the most important part because someone contacted you from Nevada. How can everyone listening, how can they reach you? How can they find you on social media? How can they submit their questions to the podcast and or the website? Yeah, if you think you have a potential case, call my office. Um, my phone numbers are 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. You can email me. You can look at the link on my website, which is DerekMHayes.com. It's spelled D-E-R-E-K. The letter M is in Matthew, and Hayes is H-A-Y-S. Everybody puts the E in, but you got to leave the E out. So DerekMHayes.com. As I said, you can email me there from the website. We also have a chat feature that comes up on the website. So if you want to chat about your case, uh, the chat box will come down and you can type a question and I'll be the one directly responding to that. I'll be able to answer your question and reach out to you by phone and, and continue, the, continue the conversation. You can also, too, look at my uh, Facebook. Uh, it's Derek in the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Instagram, the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes and even Twitter. So we've got all those social media platforms. We've talked a lot about them. Well, we use those as well for the purpose of, of getting the firm out there. Yeah, social media, it doesn't have to be all bad. You just have to be conscious about what you're posting and, right, where you're checking in and who's tagging you and all of those things that you've covered in this uh, two-part series. Uh, very educational. I know I've said that. Thank you, thank you so much for your knowledge and bringing all of that to us. Um, thank you for your time. We absolutely appreciate it, and we look forward to the next show. I oh, know it's you're always be fun. Bringing us more of your fantastic legal education. Yeah, I think I have some thoughts for the next show, but I don't think I'm going to do a tease yet. We'll just okay. Have to wait and see. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.